0: Welcome to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the Queen of Crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Katherine Brobeck. And this week, we are doing a Mysterious Mr. Quinn short story at the Bells and Motley. Coming off of our novel, Murder is Easy, which also featured a pub of that same name. Sadly, uh, we are not in Witcham under ash in this story and they don't seem to be related in any way whatsoever so you know maybe that's a little a little glitch in the Christieverse. verse although i suppose there could be two pubs with the same name in different places in england so that's fine in any case Catherine brobeck Tell us a little bit about the publication history of this one.
1: So it was first published in the Grand Magazine in November 1925 in the UK. And then it was published in July of 1926, so the next year, in the U.S. in Flynn's Weekly.
0: It was actually entitled A Man of Magic when it was first published in the Grand Magazine. Yet another alternate title to chew on for a Christie story. It's not a particularly inspiring alternate title, I have to say. No,
1: nor does it necessarily make that much sense.
0: Well, it kind of makes... I mean, there are magician-ish characters at play here-ish. Let's not spoil things. Uh,
1: Why don't you tell us about the victim?
0: Yes, let's talk about our victims, because we have three possible victims here. It's a little unclear until we get to our resolution who the victim is and who the perpetrator is. So Mm -hmm. our victim list and our suspect list are going to kind of blend together and have a fuzzy border. Much fuzzier border than they normally do. It depends
1: on the angle at which... You view the story, who the victim is, I
0: suppose. Hmm, exactly. First potential victim is Captain Richard Harwell, who is a handsome young man who had fallen in love with the mistress of Ashley Grange, which is the estate that we are dealing with here in the short story. Captain Richard Harwell disappeared the morning after he returned from his honeymoon. With said mistress.
1: Right. And said mistress uh, is, you know, I suppose in that sense, another victim. And that would be the new Mrs. Harwell, nay, Miss Eleanor Lucuto. A rich French-Canadian orphan, and she'd bought Ashley Grange and moved in with her fabulous collection of priceless French antiques. And then she fell madly in love with Captain Harwell. And then, of course, you know, her new husband disappears on her.
0: Poor Mrs. Harwell name Miss Eleanor Le Couteau. Right. And third potential victim is Stephen Grant who is a young employee of Captain Harwell's who had been in an argument with the captain shortly before that captain disappeared. And Stephen Grant had been dismissed, which is why there is now a cloud of suspicion hanging over him. Some people think that he did it. And if he did do it, he'd be a perpetrator. If he didn't do it, then he's another victim. The innocent need their name cleared. Agatha Christie cares very deeply about this.
1: Right, even in a story without Papa Boro.
0: Exactly. Let's talk about our suspects, Catherine.
1: Back right there to Stephen Grant because... <laughs> fuzzy he, Border. Yeah, Fuzzy Border. He had just been in a huge dispute with Captain Harwell. So, you know, if he still held a grudge, who better to potentially off the gentleman?
0: And then, likewise, Mrs. Harwell, nay, Miss Le Couteau, she could have offed her new husband. Maybe that's why he disappeared.
1: Perhaps. And then, hey, we have Captain Harwell himself. And, you know, I suppose it's entirely possible he had a really, really garbage honeymoon. It could have just been a <laughs> Trash fire. <laughs> And, you know, maybe he got back to Ashley Grange and decided to go to the store to buy cigarettes, as it were. And (laughs) (laughs) that's that. That's that. We don't know.
0: We don't know. Next up on our suspect list, Mrs. Matthias, who is the cook at Ashley Grange. And she would have been one of the last people to see Captain Harwell before he disappeared.
1: And then we have Mr. John Matthias, who's the elderly gardener at Ashley Grange. And he was the last person to see Captain Harwell.
0: All right, let's talk about the world as it appears to be, because this is a Harley Quinn story, which means that we open with our old friend, emphasis on old, Mr. Satterthwaite. And Mr. Satterthwaite is none too pleased because he is on his yeah he's on his way to spend some quality time at Marswick Manor with some members of the glitterati I presume. That's how he rolls. That's how he rolls. And uh, his car keeps breaking down, unfortunately, due to some shoddy tires and some bumpy roads. You know, it is 1925, so cars are not that good yet. I would imagine. So this probably happens more than it, it would in years to come. But they
1: keep popping the tires.
0: Have you ever seen the tires on those yes, old cars? they're terrible. They're very thin. Mm-hmm. They're like Correct. bicycle tires.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. These are not your Goodyear uh, rough, leathery tires. So they've broken down in what Mr. Satterthwaite describes as, um, this is what Christy writes, What is this? place, anyway. Being a little gentleman considerate of the feelings of others, he substituted the word place for godforsaken hole, which had first risen to his lips, and he is told that they have broken down in Kirtlington mallet.
1: A very exciting
0: name. Yeah, very exciting name. Every country or dialect has its name for an out of nowhere sort of town. It's
1: the Boondocks.
0: It's the Boondocks. Or it's the Sticks. The yes, yes. Mr. Satterthwaite is stewing, and his chauffeur suggests that he may want to consider going to the local inn and having some food since it's late. It's going to take a while to make these repairs. And Mr. Satterthwaite reluctantly agrees. He heads over to the Bells in Motley. What does he find there, Catherine?
1: Well, he finds first that Mr. William Jones, the landlord of the inn, offers him a sizable stake, and that's appealing. So he finds mm-hmm. that. But Mr. Jones also tells him that the only other guest at the inn is a Mr. Quinn. And for, <laughs> yeah, for unclear reasons, that's exactly Satterthwaite's reaction because clearly it must mean his Mr. Harley Quinn and not another Mr. Quinn, which just seems odd. If I went into a country inn in the middle of nowhere and somebody said, the only other guest is Mr. Donovan, I don't think I would immediately jump to it being you, Kemper.
0: But then <laughs> I am not as mysterious as Oh,
1: you, Mr. you Quinn. give yourself not enough credit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the predilection for popping up in the darndest of places like our the, dear Mr. Quinn. That is true. <laughs>
1: but, you know, Saturday's right. Um, it is mr harley quinn and he immediately heads over to the other room to see his friend so they're sitting there and as a storm picks up outside jones tells them that on a night much like this he's reminded of the night when the harwells returned from their honeymoon (laughs) (laughs) some night huh on this very night 10 years ago along the same stretch of road In a dense fog, just like this. And (laughs) suddenly, Satterthwaite then remembers how he knows the tiny village of Carlington Mallet. I saw the worst accident I ever seen. He then proceeds to narrate the details of this to Mr. Quinn, even though it is... Very quickly apparent that Mr. Quinn also knows this story because Mr. Quinn suggests that perhaps the two of them can solve this mystery merely by sitting there.
0: I'd like to pull out that section in which Mr. Quinn makes that point because it will become a very important theme in perhaps Catherine's favorite Christie novel, which is coming up soon. Five Little Pigs, in terms of looking back on something and what we gain by the passage of time and looking back on something in the past, this is what Christie writes. That is a curious idea of yours, said Mr. Satterthwaite slowly, that one sees things better afterwards than at the time. Mr. Quinn responds, the longer the time that has elapsed, the more things fall into proportion. One sees them in their true relationship to one another. And then Mr. Satterthwaite goes on to relate the facts. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think often the passage of time muddies things because memory is a tricky, fickle, Beast, but
1: that's the theory.
0: And Christy, uh, she was at least fascinated by the theory if she didn't subscribe to it. I mean, I think that
1: the argument to be made, and it's sort of the point that Mr. Quinn is making, is that you can't say the passage of time as in like two years. You have to say the passage of time as in a significant amount of time because emotions might not be so high. You might not see things exactly as they were then. So I think that they use, what, 2024? Is that the year that they use?
0: Yeah, well, and we even saw it in The Coming of Mr. Quinn, the first story, when it's about a decade, right? Mm -hmm. It's a long time. But yes, in this, I was very tickled by the fact that they imagined themselves looking back on... The events of this mystery, as if they were living in the year 2024. Yep, which Very obviously <laughs> at the time
1: <laughs> much clo- much closer to us right now than it was to them. Or
0: 2025, actually, oh. since uh, since this was in 1925, right? Which makes sense. And they even talk about in 1824. Mr. Satterthwaite says, a hundred years ago, we had the age of powder and patches. Shall we say that 1924 was the age of crossword puzzles and cat burglars? And then that made me start wondering what 2024 would be the age of. And
1: I don't think we I got want, depressed. Yeah. yeah. We, we should, <laughs> I know. Uh, I don't think anybody, um, not not me, nor probably anybody listening really wants to contemplate what that epigraph will be. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's not every day that you read an Agatha Christie story and the year 2025 is referenced, the future by a mere seven years. I know. You that, know, Cubs win the
1: World Series and we all, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what else happens in Die to the Future? Little girl, little girl, stop.
0: Look, I need to borrow your hoverboard. Maybe we'll get those hoverboards in seven years. I know. You know, any day now, any day. So they're looking back on this from as great a distance as possible. And Mr. Satterthwaite first just sort of gets down to brass tacks and relates what happened. So here's what happened.
1: When they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this.
0: (laughs) Miss Eleanor Le Couteau is a French-Canadian heiress who had bought Ashley Grange, which is the estate nearby within the boundary of Kirtlington Mallet. Ashley Grange was a little worse for wear, and she fixed it up when she moved in. She also brought a sizable collection of fine antiques, many of them French, which the townsfolk all gossiped about because they were so fine and lovely and apparently her family had rescued them from the revolution when they escaped and that is when they emigrated to Canada. She is 23 years old. She is beautiful, rich, and an orphan. At 23, can you really be an orphan? <laughs> sure. I guess just, she doesn't have any extended family around her. She's, she's alone. Correct. She lives in Ashley Grange with Mrs. Sinclair, who is a lady of high breeding, who acts as her companion or guardian, or Duenna.
1: Weird word choice that Satterthwaite uses.
0: Yeah, because I feel like usually a Duenna has more, a little bit more of a governess- I, I, yeah, don't definitely. you imagine a uh-huh. duenna as being a little bit more governess adjacent? Yes. But that's such a Mr. Satterthwaite word to use. Duenna. So fancy. Always going for the dime words, Mr. Satterthwaite, when a nickel word will do just as well. Right.
1: A companion should have been his word choice. So. Companion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So many a young man, of course, wants to marry Miss Le Couteau, but she's never been interested in anyone until mm. the dashing Captain Harwell comes in for the hunt. Ooh,
1: the hunt, Literal and say. figurative. <laughs>
0: And they are engaged in two months And married three months after that So this is a whirlwind courtship They then go abroad to France for two weeks They then return to Ashley Grange The next morning, Harwell is seen taking a stroll By the gardener, John Matthias And then, he is never seen again
1: Dun 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 Yes sir That was the worst accident I ever seen Yeah. So, since then, suspicion has fallen on Stephen Grant. Um, He'd been in charge of Harwell's horses, and so he'd been dismissed, but then he'd also been seen in the vicinity of Ashley Grange on the morning of the disappearance. So, he was detained by the police, but, you know, they really had zero evidence and really no motive. But even so... um, Mr. Jones, the Bells and Motley uh, landlord, he has a daughter, Mary, who's very pretty and very much in love with Stephen Grant and very much wants to marry Stephen Grant. But uh, Grant has been living under this huge cloud of suspicion ever since, making his life miserable and preventing them from uh, getting married.
0: Also potentially suspicious, Matthias and his wife, Mm -hmm. since they're there. And they could have had something to do with it. But they were questioned repeatedly and they backed each other up. But still, Matthias wasn't comfortable enough after that that he and his wife moved to Essex. So they are nowhere to be seen. Gone. Just gone. Everyone's gone.
1: Correct. (laughs) Yep. Another possibility here, right, is that if Harwell wasn't murdered, he could have just left. You know, one of the things that is possible, right, is that he had wanted something out of the marriage, but he didn't want to be actually married. But Eleanor had these fancy London solicitors, and they would apparently looked into his background in case he was a gold digger. And so part of the, I guess, almost like a prenup was that Eleanor had essentially offered him a chunk of money to have as his own. Mm-hmm. But he turned all of it down, claiming personal wealth and that he had no need for hers. So, you know, it does not seem at all like he was a gold digger. At the same time, it's speculated that perhaps he could have left and then held the fact that he's missing and she doesn't have any way to marry again, that that could have been held over her head for some other reason, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are possibilities, but it doesn't seem to make sense, right? It doesn't seem like he would just
0: vanish. The disappearance really doesn't make sense. So after this happens, Eleanor can't stay at the house any longer. So she sells it and all of its priceless belongings for 60,000 pounds to an American millionaire. I did say American, so he's got to have a ridiculous name. And his (laughs) name is Mr. Cyrus G. Bradburn. There we go. I like it. uh, Uh, I'm into it. Then she left. (laughs)
1: Mr. Cyrus G. Bradburn, American millionaire. That could be a good story.
0: I think he might be Daddy Warbucks's friend. I don't need sunshine now to turn my skies to blue. I don't need anything but you. Oh,
1: perfect. (laughs) Even better. Yes. So now Mr. Bradburn has the house and all of the antiques and Eleanor has presumably fled back to uh, the continent.
0: They come to a little bit of an impasse, which is when they start talking about really looking at this from the far, far future. And I do appreciate there's this little back and forth, which is so typical. Of the Mr. Quinn stories. Every Mr. Quinn story has to have two elements, both of which I wince at a little bit, but also cherish. One is comparing Mr. Quinn to Harlequin. Mm-hmm. Actually, we don't really have that moment here, although it is mentioned that the name of the inn is peculiarly appropriate to Mr. Quinn since it is called the Bells and Motley. Motley. Yeah. Motley colors and then bells like a jester would wear or like Harlequin might wear, perhaps. (laughs) Um, So we have that. So check on that one. And then we have to have Mr. Satterthwaite sort of, being bitter about life having passed him by and just being an observer and wanting more out of life. There's this melancholic tone to these stories that is quite unusual. And here we have Mr. Satterthwaite, he's frustrated and he can't figure out, he can't find his way out of this mystery. And Mr. Quinn says, you have seen much of life more than most people. Life has passed me by, said Mr. Satterthwaite bitterly, but in so doing has sharpened your vision. Where others are blind, you can see. It is true, said Mr. Satterthwaite. I am a great observer. He plumed himself complacently. The moment of bitterness was past.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So weird.
0: It's so weird. All of these stories have it. We'll be tracking that element within the Mr. Quinn story. So stay tuned, listeners, because there's more to come.
1: So after so after he gets his boost, though, this is where we get that quote before about the, shall we say, 1924 was age of Crossword Puzzles and Cat Burglars. Mm-hmm. And from there, Mr. Satterthwaite basically... It really would seem like rambling were it not a short story and were we not almost to the very end of it. (laughs) So what seems like rambling isn't. Satterthwaite starts talking about whether or not crossword puzzles are actually international, but he does note that cat burglars are because he tells a long-winded story about a series of Chateau burglaries in France that were ultimately chalked up to the Clondinis, a mother, <laughs> daughter, and son an acrobat troupe who had recently vanished from performing themselves. Of course. You know the story is really going well up until this point. I have to say it's intriguing. What is the mystery? And then Mister Satterthwaite rolls into this, and my eyes. And
0: is that where is that where I lost you, Catherine?
1: My lost me there. That might have been uh, where my eyes started
0: rolling. Yeah, perhaps. I, I think it's time to talk about the world as it actually is. So that seemingly unnecessary story about the Clondinis and conjuring tricks turns out not to have been unnecessary at all. It's, in fact, vital to solving this mystery. For Mr. Satterthwaite has an epiphany. Of course
1: he does.
0: (laughs) What if they were looking at the sleight of hand in the wrong way? What if Harwell hadn't disappeared, but everything else in the story was the same? As in, Miss Eleanor sells Ashley Grange and all of her belongings for no reason. Right. Because the disappearance hadn't happened. I mean, at that point, the focus would have been on this rich young woman selling a house... Full of priceless French antiquities, again, for no reason.
1: The misdirection.
0: It's misdirection. Christie does this very well in novels. And it's almost like Mr. Satterthwaite is calling out his creator here. The disappearance is the misdirection so that people don't focus on how weird it is that she fixed up this house and then just up and sold it and disappeared herself.
1: Right, full of priceless French antiquities that her family had supposedly smuggled out of France during the French Revolution.
0: Catherine, solve this mystery for us.
1: Well, I was going to say unsurprisingly, but perhaps surprisingly, the Clondinis struck again.
0: Those derned Clondinis. <laughs>
1: Circus people, I guess. <laughs> Eleanor, who's, guess what, the Clondini daughter. Bought the what? Miss cru- <laughs> <Ms>. Le Couteau? Miss <laughs> Le Couteau does not seem to be... Uh, her real name, her name is something-something Clondini, she bought this crumbling manor house probably for a massive bargain because it had been abandoned. And then she moves in all of their stolen goods from all of these chateau robberies across France for the last few years. And then she arranges for her brother, Clandini, Who, guess what, poses as Harwell to show up so they could fall in love and marry, and then he could tragically disappear.
0: That's not creepy.
1: Not at all creepy. Tell us about the third member of this act, Kemper.
0: Well, we know that there is a mother, Mama Clondini, and she posed as Mrs. Matthias. But wait, you say, how is that possible? Because there was a Mr. Matthias. Well, that was also Brother Clondini slash Harwell. (laughs) Given the fact that they were all living slash working on the estate together. I
1: mean, you know, it's not also weird that he posed as both his sister's Husband and his mother's husband.
0: Yeah, he he's got some range. Let's say he's got some range in the pretending to be family members, significant others game. Well, and
1: also can be strikingly young and handsome, and also have arthritis and be hunched over and you know prematurely old.
0: Right, but yeah, I mean, it was the easiest thing in the world to do because they're all alone on this estate, so it's not like anyone was there to comment on the fact that, hmm, when Captain Harwell leaves a room, Mr. Matthias seems to enter it right afterward, but they never appear together. You know, that old Michael Janet Jackson rumor. Me and Janet really are two different people. The the clever idea encapsulated in what is ultimately a fairly silly story is that one person disappeared to great fanfare. Yeah, it was a story across
1: all of England.
0: Right, but which then hushed up the fact that the other people at this estate also disappeared. Mr. and Mrs. Matthias went to Essex and no one ever heard from them. And then Miss Le Couteau also disappeared, but no one really cared because they were also fixated on the first disappearance. So... How do you make three people disappear, three people pretending to be four? You make a big stink about the first one and then disappear in the shadow of that.
1: Yeah, and then ultimately nobody knows, of course, where any of these people are, and they have successfully laundered all of this stolen treasure for 60,000 pounds.
0: The irony of all this, which should not be lost on any avid Christie fan, is that in 1925, one year before she would disappear herself, Christie wrote a story about the power of disappearing in terms of all the publicity it would create as a means of misdirection when she would go on to disappear herself to great fanfare and be horrified by how much publicity surrounded the event. So she probably should have known better, given what she created in this story a year before she disappeared. But, you know, the life of an author on the page and the life of an author IRL are two very different things. Poor Mr. Cyrus Bradburn, the outrageously named American millionaire, he paid 60,000 pounds for a house full of stolen goods, and he's going to have to give them back.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it sort, of, it sort of said, well, we shouldn't feel that bad for him because, you know, he's an incredibly, obscenely wealthy American, so.
0: Right, this is true. He must be obnoxious. I mean, he's an American <laughs> millionaire. Come on. I also love when Harley Quinn leaves. Mr. Satterthwaite says, you're leaving here tomorrow, I think you said. And then he says, possibly tonight. My business here is done. It kind of reminds me of Quantum Leap. Right. Scott Bakula in Quantum Leap.
1: Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime. Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap
0: Accelerator. He's just like, oh no, I've I've fixed this situation. And now I get to just beam on out of here. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own
1: and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. It (laughs) is distinctly (laughs) possible that Mr. Quinn is a ghost. Be sure and tell him Large Marge sent ya!
0: (laughs) Oh, yes it is, and believe me, we will be exploring that idea further.
1: Large Marge sent me.
0: Did you say large Marge? She just dropped me off. That's possible. But let's not get ahead of ourselves.
1: But that means the large Marge I was writing was... was Her ghost!
0: We have many, many, many more Mr. Quinn stories to come, Catherine.
1: As I look forward to 2024, I will keep that in mind.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, well... I think that is at the Bells and Motley, unless you have anything further you would like to add.
1: Well, I would like to add that Mr. Satterthwaite's car does get fixed.
0: Oh, this is true. His (laughs) car does get fixed. He's not stuck in Kirtlington Mallet forever. No,
1: he's not. He too gets to disappear from Curtlington Mallet.
0: (laughs) He's also, by the way, when he's back in his luxurious limo, he sees Mary, the innkeeper's daughter, uh, daughter, right, who Mm -hmm. is in love with. For Stephen Grant and knows, even though she doesn't know it yet, that all of her problems are going to disappear because the innocent Stephen Grant will have that cloud of suspicion that is hanging over him just clear right right on. And
1: she will get to head on to the altar.
0: Yes, she will. Because the innocent will live to see another day and be productive citizens. Mr.
1: Satterthwaite, matchmaking in his spare time. Now,
0: are any of these detectives not matchmakers? I mean, all. You know what? You know what's interesting. All of Christie's male detectives are
1: bigger matchmakers are than the female ones
0: way big I mean all of her male detectives are extremely romantic to a silly degree we of course have Papa Poirot Parker Pine calls himself a heart specialist for God's sake he's almost literally a matchmaker I mean that's almost literally what he's doing in a couple of those early stories especially and then Mr. Satterthwaite is the biggest softie around Tommy and Tuppence just don't have much time for it. And Miss Marple, please. She's not matchmaking. <laughs> no,
1: she would just tell a story about... She's breaking. I know. She would just tell some story about 20 years ago, somebody had played matchmaker in St. Mary Mead and it ended in murder. <laughs> right.
0: And they ended up, like, being a child murderer. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that would just be
1: the sort of grace note on that, I think.
0: All right, well... That is at the Bells and Motley. Join us next week for another short story. We just mentioned them. We are going back to Tommy and Tuppence. We only have a few more stories remaining in the partners in crime collection i know i'm a little sad about that we will be reading two chapters within the partners in crime collection which together make up one story and those are the clergyman's daughter and the red house so together they are a single mystery we came across that sort of multi-chapter business uh, earlier on in the collection in the meantime we'd love to hear from you please feel free to reach out via email at allaboutthedame at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha. We're also on Twitter at All About The Dame. Catherine is at Brobcat. We are on Instagram at All About Agatha. And we would really love it if you took a moment to rate and review us. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.